0: Section 9 of Letters to a Friend by John Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Fleischman. Letters from 1875 to 1879. Brownsville, Yuba County, California. January 19th, 1875. My dear Mrs. Mother Carr, here are some of the dearest and bonniest of our father's bairns, the little ones that so few care to see. I never saw such enthusiasm in the care and breeding of mosses as nature manifests among these northern Sierras. I have studied a big fruitful week among the canyons and ridges of the Feather and another along the Yuba River, living and dead. I have seen a dead river, a sight worth going around the world to see. The dead rivers and dead gravels wherein lie the gold form magnificent problems, and I feel wild and unmanageable with the intense interest they excite. But I will choke myself off and finish my glacial work and that little book of studies. I've been spending a few fine social days with Emily, but now work. How gloriously it storms. The pines are in ecstasy, and I feel it and must go out to them. I must borrow a big coat, and mingle in the storm, and make some studies. Farewell, love to all. Emily and Mrs. Knox send love. How are Ned and Keith? I wish Keith had been with us these Shasta and Feather River days. I have gained a thousandfold more than I hoped. Heaven send him light, and the good blessing of wildness. How the rains splash and roar, and how the pines wave and pray. 1419 Taylor Street, May 4th, 1875. Here I am, safe in the arms of Daddy's sweat, home again from icy Shasta and richer than ever in dead river gravel and in snowstorms and snow. The upper end of the main Sacramento Valley is entirely covered with ancient river drift, and I wandered over many square miles of it. In every pebble I could hear the sound of running water, the whole deposit is a poem whose many books and chapters form the geological Vedas of our glorious state. I discovered a new species of hail on the summit of Shasta, and experienced one of the most beautiful and most violent snowstorms imaginable. I would have been with you ere this to tell you about it, and to give you some lilies and pine tassels that I brought for you and Mrs. McChesney and Ina Coolbrith, but alack, I am battered and scarred like a log that has come down the Tuolumne in flood time, and I am also lame with frost nipping. Nothing serious, however, and I will be well and better than before in a few days. I was caught in a violent snowstorm and held up on the summit of the mountain all night in my shirt sleeves. The intense cold and the want of food and sleep made the fire of life smolder and burn low, Nevertheless, in company with another strong mountaineer, I broke through six miles of frosty snow down into the timber and reached fire and food and sleep and am better than ever with all the valuable experiences. Altogether, I have had a very instructive and delightful trip. The Bryanthus you wanted was snow-buried and I was too lame to dig it out for you, but I will probably be back ere long. I'll be over in a few days or so. Old Yosemite Home, November 3rd, 1875. I'm delighted in coming out of the woods to learn that the doctor is elected to do the work he is so well fitted for. I've had a glorious season of forest grace, notwithstanding the hundred canyons I've crossed and the innumerable gorges, gulches, and avalanche corrugations. A day or two of resting and lingering in my dear old haunts and then downtown work, I'm sorry about Keith's stocks, though of scarce any real consequence, they yet serve to perturb and spoil his best moods and works. It seems a whole round season since I saw you, but have I not seen the King Sequoia in forest glory? Love to all, John Muir 1418 Taylor Street, San Francisco, April 3rd, 1876 We will all be glad to see you. We all heard of the outrage committed on Johnny, and hope it might not be so serious as made to appear in the press. Mr. Sweat told me the other day that he met a friend downtown who was acquainted with the White intimately, who gave it as his opinion that Mr. White was insane, had a brother in the asylum, and he was as jealous of a half dozen other persons as of Johnny. If I knew Ned's boarding house, I would visit him, for I know he must feel terribly agitated. The last time I saw him, he was rejoicing over Johnny's steady, manly development, like an old fond father over some reformed son. As for the stranded, sapless condition of political geology, I care only for the fruitless work expended upon it by friends. The glaciers are not affected thereby. Neither am I nor Cassiope. The first meeting I had with Mr. Moore was at the lecture the other night. He seemed immeasurably astonished to find me in so anti-sequestered a condition, but in the meanwhile he is more changed than I, for he seems semi-crazy on literature, as Mrs. M. is wholly, doubly so, on paint. I will show your letters to Mr. Sweat when he comes in, who will doubtless be able to decipher the meaning of heads and tails of your bodiless sentences. I am sorry, most of all, for the destruction of the teacher's thus cutting off the only adequate outlet for your own thought. But hang it, let them decapitate and hang, they cannot hang Cassiope. Ever yours cordially, John Muir 1419 Taylor Street, San Francisco, January Twelfth, 1877 John Sweat told me how heavy a burden you were carrying of work and sickness, I hope, ere this, that the doctor has recovered from his severe attack of rheumatism, and that you have had sleep and rest. Your description of the Orange Lands makes me more than ever eager to see them, in particular the phenomenon of a real lover of nature such as you mention, for one does feel so wholly alone in the midst of this metallic, money-clinking crowd. And so you are going to dwell down there, and how rosily you will write about it, well, I hope you may realize it all. Independence and quiet life must be delightful indeed, after the battles and the burdens of these heavy years. In any case, it is a fine thing for old people who have worked and fought through all kinds of strenuous experiences to have thoughts and schemes so fresh and young as yours. We all hope to see you soon. Cordially yours, John Muir July twenty-third, 1877 I made only a short dash into the dear old highlands above Yosemite, but all was so full of everything I love. Every day seemed a measureless period. I never enjoyed the Tuolumne Cataract so much. Coming out of the sunland, the gray salt deserts of Utah, these wild ice waters sang themselves into my soul more enthusiastically than ever. And the forest breath was sweeter and Cassiope fairer than in all my first fresh contacts. But I'm not going to tell here. I only write to say that next Saturday I will sail to Los Angeles and spend a few weeks in getting some general views of the adjacent region, then work northward and begin a careful study of the redwoods. I will at least have time this season for the lower portion of the belt, that is, for all south of here. If you have any messages, you have time to write me, I sail at 10 a.m., or if not, you may direct to Los Angeles. I hope to see Conger, and also the spot you have selected for home. I wish you could be there, in your grown, fruitful groves, all rooted and grounded in the fine garden nook that I know you will make. It must be a great consolation, in the midst of the fires you are compassed with, to look forward to a tranquil seclusion in the south, of which you are so fond. John says he may not move to Berkeley, and if not, I may be here this winter, though I still feel some tendency towards another winter in some mountain ice. It is long indeed since I had anything like a quiet talk with you. You have been going like an avalanche for many a year, and I sometimes fear you will not be able to settle into rest, even in the orange groves. I'm glad to know that the doctor is so well. You must be pained by the shameful attacks made upon your tried friend LaGrange. Farewell. Ever cordially yours, John Muir. Los Angeles, California, August 12th, 1877. Pico House. I've seen your sunny Pasadena and the patch called yours. Everything about here pleases me, and I felt sorely tempted to take Dr. Conger's advice and invest in an orange patch myself. I feel sure you will be happy here with a doctor and ally among so rich a luxuriance of sunny vegetation. How you will dig and dibble in that mellow loam. I cannot think of you standing erect for a single moment unless it be in looking away out into the dreamy west. I made a fine shaggy little five days excursion back in the heart of the San Gabriel Mountains and then a week of real pleasure with Conger, resurrecting the past about Madison. He has a fine little farm, fine little family, and fine, cozy home. I felt at home with Conger, and at once took possession of his premises and all that in them is. We drove down through the settlements eastward and saw the best orange groves and vineyards, but the mountains I, as usual, met alone. Although so gray and silent, and unpromising, they are full of wild gardens, and ferneries, and lilleries, some specimens ten feet high, with twenty lilies big enough for bonnets. The main results I will tell you some other time, should you ever have an hour's leisure. I go north today, by rail to Newhall, thence by stage to Soledad, and on to Monterey, where I will take to the woods and feel my way in free study to San Francisco may reach the city about the middle of next month. Heard through your factor here that Miss Powell is worse, and that you would not be down soon. I received your letter and postal, also the letters you thought I had lost, via one from Salt Lake, for which I sent, and one from Yosemite, which Black forwarded. Would love to all, I am ever, yours cordially, J. M. 1419 Taylor Street, San Francisco, September 3rd, 1877 I have just been over at Alameda with poor dear old Gibbons. You have seen him, and I need give no particulars. The only thing I'm afraid of, John, he said, looking up with his old child face, is that I shall never be able to climb the Oakland Hills again. But he is so healthy and so well cared for, we will be strong and hope that he will. He spoke for an hour with characteristic unselfishness on the injustice done Dr. Kellogg in failing to recognize his long-continued devotion to science at the botanical love feast held here the other night. He threatens to write up the whole discreditable affair and is very anxious to obtain from you a copy of that gray letter to Kellogg, which was not delivered." I had a glorious ramble in the Santa Cruz woods and have found out one very interesting and picturesque fact concerning the growth of this sequoia. I mean to devote many a long week to its study. What the upshot may be, I cannot guess, but you know I am never sent away empty. I made an excursion to the summit of Mount Hamilton in extraordinary style, accompanied by Allen, Norton, Brawley, and all the lady professors and their friends a curious contrast to my ordinary still hunting. Spent a week at San Jose, enjoyed my visit with Alan very much. lectured to the faculty on methods of study without undergoing any very great scare. I believe I wrote you from Los Angeles about my Pasadena week. Have sent a couple of letters to the bulletin from there, not yet published. I have no inflexible plans as yet for the remaining months of the season but Yosemite seems to place itself as the most persistent candidate for my winter. I shall soon be in flight to the Sierras or Oregon. I seem to give up hope of ever seeing you calm again. Don't grind too hard at those Sacramento mills. Remember me to the doctor and Allie. Ever yours cordially, John Muir. 1419 Taylor Street, June Fifth, 1878. I'm sorry I did not see you when last in the city. I went over to Oakland, thence to Alameda, to spend a week and finish an article with our good old Gibbons. But the house was full. Then I went to Dr. Strentzel's, where I remained a week, working a little, resting a good deal, and eating many fine cherries. I enjoyed most the white bed in which first I rested after rocking so long in the rushes of the Stockton Slough. They all were as kind as ever they could possibly be, and wanted me to stop longer, but I could not find a conscientious excuse for so doing, and came away somewhat sore with obligations for stopping so long. Met Mr. and Mrs. Allen there. Smith has gone this morning to Shasta, taking Helen, and I'm terribly lonesome and homesick, and will not try to stand it. We'll go to the woods tomorrow. How great are your trials! I wish I could help you. May the doctor be speedily restored to health. Cordially yours, John Muir nine twenty Valencia Street, april ninth, eighteen seventy nine. I did not send the pine book to you, because I was using it in rewriting a portion of the California Forest article, which will appear in Scribner's May or June, and because, before it could have reached you, you were, according to your letter, to be in San Francisco. And could then take it with you. It is entitled Gordon's Pinetum, published by Henry G. Bone, Henrietta Street, Covent Garden, Simpkin, Marshall and Company, Stationers, Hall Court, 1875, second edition. It is an exhaustive work, very exhausting anyhow, and contains a fine, big, much of little. The summit pine of our Sierra is P albacolus of engelmann and the p flexilus tory given in this work as a synonym is a very different tree growing sparsely on the eastern flank of the sierra from bloody canyon southward but very abundant on all the higher basin ranges and on the wasatch and rocky mountains the orange book is it seems another exhaustive work there is something admirable in the scientific nerve and aplomb manifested in the titles of these swollen volumes. How a tree book can be exhaustive when every species is ever on the wing from one form to another with infinite variety, it is not easy to see. I haven't the least idea who Mr. Rexford is, but if connected with a bulletin, I can probably get the title of his citrus book through Mr. Williams. We'll probably see him next Sunday. The Sunday convention manager offered me $100 for two lectures on the Yosemite rocks in June. I have not yet agreed to do so, though I probably shall, as I am not going into Colorado this summer. Excepting a day at San Jose with Alan, I have hardly been out of my room for weeks, pegging away with my quill and accomplishing little. My last efforts were on the preservation of the Sierra forests, and the wild and trampled conditions of our flora from a bee's point of view. I want to spend the greater portion of the season up the coast, observing ice, and may possibly find my way home in the fall to see my mother. I wonder if you will really go quietly away south when your office term expires, and rest in the afternoon of your life among your kin and orange leaves or, unable to get full absolution from official women's rights unrest, you will fight and squirm till sundown. I've seen nothing of you all these fighting years. I suppose nothing less than an exhaustive miniature of all the leafy creatures of the globe will satisfy your Pasadena aspirations. You know how little real sympathy I can give in such playgarden schemes. Still, if so inappreciative and unavailable a man as I, may be of use at all, let me know. Ever cordially yours, John Muir. San Francisco, June 19th, 1879. Goodbye. I am going home, going to my summer in the snow and ice and forests of the North Coast. We'll sail tomorrow at noon on the Dakota for Victoria and Olympia. We'll then push inland and along land. May visit Alaska. I hope you and the doctor may not suffer yourselves to be drawn away into the stream of politics again. You will be far happier on your land. I was at the valley. How beautiful it was. Fresh and full of cool crystal streams and blooms. Was not scared in my lectures after the first one. With kind regards to the doctor and the boys. Farewell. John Muir End of section nine. End of Letters to a Friend by John Muir